ready for the interview And if you get a cue live on a laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo, let's have a combo. Say what you feel, be real That's the motto Real talk, pronto Dr. DPHD, hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network, global, home for the local Gotta be social Network, global, home for the local just regarding how great you look and uh, you talked about makeup but seriously <laughs> you look amazing i love the uh, outfit too very nice thank you i i like to add some color to the world this is very art this looks like there's art behind you and then like the shirt i mean there's a lot going on i love it okay well as long as it's not too much you know i'm, I'm not a set designer <laughs> <laughs> no no i do my best but that is not one of my skills it's okay. This is a very rare interview for me because uh, I mostly talk to people I don't know, like mostly, probably 98% of the time. But was this like your third or fourth time being on here? <laughs> it's like, I believe this is my fourth time with you. This is the most interviews ever on my podcast, Michelle Ann Collins. <laughs> I, I feel so blessed and honored. I mean, you have an, we always have such great conversations. It's going to happen again. And actually, I remember the one of the first ones I was sitting on the beach listening to you tell your story oh. of this loss. It was so emotional. And uh, yeah. it's it still today one of the best podcast episodes ever on my podcast. Like incredible. And you're just so honest about your story. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And, and even since then, it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. So you uh, have a new book coming out, right? Two. Two books. That's right. Two books. And uh, man, you just keep pushing forward into like loss and pain and telling that. Why? Why? Because that's such a good question. Um, and there's lots of answers because why is a pretty open question. I think the primary driving force for me is because I want to have a joyful life. I wanted to heal and I love to write. So those two things, if you look at the science, right, writing is very, can be very healing. And so I was motivated to not feel the way I felt after my husband died. I just didn't want to feel terrible for the rest of my life. And when you have a loss like that, you feel like you're going to feel terrible for the rest of your life. So that was the primary driving force. And then the also primary driving force is once I realized that my skills and knowledge and experience, sadly, um, could help others, which wasn't too long after Glenn died, my husband died. Um, it gave me purpose and and purpose or finding meaning in your life is one of the you know most important things we can do to live a fulfilling life so those two things together are my driving force <laughs> well let's we're going to do this again we're going to we're going to drop into this how is this your how has this created conflict in your life how has this um, created conflict? Maybe with other well, people in your life and you're dealing with this. As, how has that been maybe conflicted with other people's feeling about the loss you've had in your life? 
I think to be perfectly honest, I haven't had a lot of external conflict. It's been more in my internal world, like, oh, what if I say this and somebody thinks this, but you know, once you're an author, you, you, once you, in the moments that I fully embody my inner author, you realize that you tell your story and your story is your story. And everyone else has a different story and I have respect for their stories too. You know, you can put two people in a room and have them watch the same movie and they will have two completely different experiences because they came into that room as two different people. They came into the experience with all of their history, all of their uh, beliefs, all of their internal biases, right? And so when you come out, you come out with two completely different experiences, even though they were exposed to the same stimulus, the same movie. So I understand from doing research and living on the planet that there may have been people around me at the same time, people who were friends with Glenn, who are still, you know, in, in memorial for him, mourning for him, who have a completely different point of view than what I do. But I respect and uh, embody my story. I, I live my history. And so I can't, so there really isn't any conflict. If, if someone reads these books or any of my previous books and says, that's not how it happened, I realize that that's not how it happened for them. But my memory and experience is just as valid as theirs. And I'm happy to not have conflict, but have a discussion or whatever it takes. Uh, and I do hope because the, I still have, sadly, so many estrangements in my life from the experience of losing Glenn, of being married to Glenn first, and then losing him to suicide, that if anybody that uh, wanted to come and have a conversation with me about the things I've written or the things I've done before and after he died, I am open to it. I will greet them with an open heart. And, you know, as long as they're not abusive, I do have boundaries. Uh, yeah, I would, I would love to, to share and, and remember Glenn together rather yeah. than apart. How do, how do you view his, his death from when we talked about it a couple years ago, several years ago versus now? Yeah, I wanted to actually congratulate you. I think you're going to, close to your five-year anniversary, right, yeah, exactly. of having this podcast? Yeah, yeah. Because oh, I was counting back the first time I was on <laughs> it. I was one of your first guests, and that sure. was 2018. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. We've been together a long time. I know. That's why I said this is <laughs> rare. Like, this is not a normal thing. Like, I'm like, hey, new person, new person. I'm like, whoa, this is a, I don't do this often, you know? Well, I'm glad I'm interesting enough to you to have me back, even though I'm not new. <laughs> but oh, I always have something great. new to talk about. So, well, and, and and people may not know this. Like, I keep up with Michelle. It's not like I'm like, hey, you want to be on my podcast? Like, we we have a connection. I we text back and forth, and I try to do that with everybody. But uh, it's not like, hey, I haven't seen you all this time. Like, and talk to you all this time. It's like there's a connection with that but i'm i just have such vivid memories of that conversation and that was when i didn't have my podcast on video it was just audio and uh, yeah it was i appreciated intense. that yeah it was intense <laughs> like hearing it so intense you know 
I was still deep in grief and deep in, you know, uh, what I, what I now refer to as the grief caves, Mm. um, just figuring out where I was, what's my life like now. And I was two years out from losing Glenn at that time. Uh, and now I, uh, to answer the question, the, the changes are because I have done a lot of work, both studying grief and uh, I uh, got a certification in grief education, which really was incredibly healing for me. I, I was able to, uh, I, when I talked to you the first time, I was still deep in shame and guilt around Glenn's death, even though I could say, oh yeah, it wasn't my fault. I didn't feel that way. I still felt greatly at fault and, and, and very guilty as a lot of suicide loss survivors do. Um, and so once I went into, you know, of course, being further along in time, you know, we're almost at the seven year mark now from Glenn's death, being further along in time does help, but also, you know, I have brought meditation and mindfulness more and more into my life. And I know I've talked about that over the years with you. And that has helped so much. And just learning from the great philosophical teachers, learning from people like Viktor Frankl, who was in a, you know, a concentration camp during the Holocaust, and Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a, a famous monk that we just lost, a, a Buddhist monk, and you know, studying people who have suffered and how they have navigated their suffering, and also studying the phenomenon of grief and how we grieve has has helped me so much and my one of my mentors david kessler who who does the grief educator training um he really sort of filled in that final piece for me um and he says that you have gone a great deal on your journey of course the journey to healing never ends Spoiler alert, sorry about that. You, <laughs> you never completely you never completely heal from a loss like this. You grow around it. And one of the things he says that I really keep in my heart is when you can remember your loved one with more love than pain, when you can when you can think of the person you lost more in a place of love than a place of pain. Uh and and that's what I strive to do. I mean, certainly I still look back at that time and hate a lot of things about it, but I can love Glenn very much and not feel so much pain when I think about his life and his death. So I I feel like that's where I am now, and that's different than when you and I have talked before. I, I sense it. I definitely sense it. Like that was such a raw conversation. Like you were like telling the story. And it was just so emotional, like you were very emotional telling it, but I felt like it was so healing and people would tell me about it. They're like, I can't believe she's talking about this. And like, it's so, well, this is part of the step, one step in healing for that. When I think about this and I think about death, do you think people struggle with death because they're just not discussing it or maybe they haven't been close to it? Is what is, what is this? thing about us and kind of like trying to push this out of our life versus facing it yeah you know i think it's part part of western culture i really do because when you study eastern cultures they have very 
uh, and this is of course a gross generaliza generalization, mm -hmm. I understand that. Um, but if you in your culture have death integrated as part of life, then when someone dies, sure, you're still gonna go through a grieving process, but you're gonna go through it. There's a process for it. For example, and I talk about this in my book, in Judaism, uh, which I, I was raised Jewish, I, I still practice Judaism. Uh, when someone dies, there's a prescription for how, for how to behave and what to do every, you know, the first week, the first month, the first year. And it, it's so helpful because it involves the community. You, you have a group around you at these specific times and you're allowed to just completely fall apart that first week. Everyone is to take care of you and visit you and feed you. And then the first month you are witnessed uh, every week in synagogue as a griever and every month following that until the first year ends. And it is part of the community. You're part of, it's just part of the rituals that you do. And every single Jewish service includes a remembrance of those we've lost to, to death. And I know that other cultures have their own process, but I think if you're not part of specifically anything other than sort of the general American culture, you have no guidance. You don't know how to grieve. And I have to say over the last, you know, several years since I've been um, talking to you, since I've known you and even before that, social media has done an amazing job of educating. I mean, there's a hospice nurse on social media who has a big following who talks about the moment of death. If I had seen her podcast before or her post before my mom died, it would have saved me from so much suffering because I thought everything that was happening was just wrong and horrible. And, and it wasn't, it was just death. So once we, once we realize death is a natural process, and I think everyone kind of knows in the back of their mind that we're, none of us are getting out of here alive, you know? But if you talk about it and you, you plan for it, and you, know, you prepare and you prepare your loved ones and it's part of your conversation, it doesn't have to be a daily conversation, but sure. when, it, when it happens, and it does happen to everyone, uh, then there's no, there's not all that shame and disorientation and I don't know what to do now that so-and-so died. Um, certainly sudden deaths are different than, yeah. you know, a, a long illness a, or a death of, you know, an old age or whatever, but we just need to talk about it more. And, and there are, I mean, there are a number of podcasts I've been on that deal with grief specifically. Like there's a, there's a group I'm part of called the widow squad and we all have that in common. So it's, um, it's getting better, but I think we just need to stop thinking of death as this horrible, awful, you know, thing we need to not talk about and fight against and, you know, live as long and healthy life as you can, but it happens to everyone. So why, you know, why are we not talking about it? Why is it not something that we can just, you know, why do we have to shroud it? Like it's this evil thing when, yeah. you know, it's sad. Sure. Be sad when you lose someone, but you know, that, that doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. Everybody yeah. dies. <laughs> Everybody dies. Everybody. I am reminded of this 
on a daily basis because I remind myself and I talk to different people. I just talked to a hospice nurse who uh, is in the psychedelic field as well. Lou Lucas, another, that was an awesome conversation, man. Um, but I feel like you hit the nail on the head. If you're not part of, let's say, a community that really breaks it down, you're just kind of like withering in the wind about it. And then it feels shocking. Like it feels mm -hmm. shocking that someone actually doesn't exist anymore in this form. And I, that's like anything. If you don't have guidance on a lot of things in life, you're just going to make up your own guidance. And usually it's not that good. <laughs> it's not good. And, right. Well, not and good. It, there's, there's so much out there. You know, there's so much, especially with social media, but there, there's so many books out there, right. how to grieve. You know, you don't have to be alone. There's groups like, you know, David Kessler has a group that he started during COVID for, it's a community grieving group. And I, I volunteer now as a um, group moderator for, for those groups. And it's wonderful because you realize you're not alone and you get guidance what to do. Because when you don't know what to do, and the thing is, the people around you, this is something that, that I talk about a lot, and it's just so heartbreaking, which is, and this is actually the reason why I wrote two books instead of one, and that is the people that you normally lean on, like, hey, can you pick up the whatever, you know, hey, this broke, can you come help me fix it? they don't want to grieve with you because grieving is really uncomfortable. Even if they knew the person that you lost, it is really hard to sit with someone in grief. People want to go back to their lives. And if you have a, a big loss, like losing your husband or losing your mom, which I have gone through both, you, can't go, you never go back to any life. There's, you have to create a new life. And the people around you want the old Michelle back. They want the old Darian yeah. back. And you're not going to be the old Darian or the old Michelle. And a lot of times people can't hang. They just cannot yeah. hang in there until you recreate yourself with become, you know, integrating your loss and becoming the person you are now with that loss. And so that's why I wrote the second book was to try to educate people to how to be with grief, how to be around someone who's grieving. You know, this, this, is, a, this is what happens when we talk. These things happen. <laughs> Let's just get down to it. I think, I think this has to be discussed. Are you saying we haven't gotten down to well, it already? I don't think we've gotten to this part. I don't think we've gotten to okay. this. There is a basic primal need to stay alive. Even if your life is shit, people want to stay, they want to still be alive, right? Why? Why do people cling on to life so hard? Is it because the fear of not knowing what's going to happen? Or just not being around anymore? Like this not being relevant to other people? Like, what is that? Oh my gosh, you ask the most amazing question. <laughs> uh, I think it, our most basic wiring is for survival. Our, our very, the most basic instincts we have, because otherwise we wouldn't be here, right? The, the, some other form of being would be here and humans would not have made it this far. Um, it is our basic innate wiring uh, 
uh, and then, of course, it goes on now that we have higher thinking brains, we can think about it and do things like avoid unsafe environments and, you know, put a safety lock on your door or whatever. But, you know, things like when you touch a hot stove and your hand jumps back or when you're about to step out into the street and you jump back to the curb because a car's coming before you even thought about it, it is our absolutely basic instinct to survive what's beyond yes totally most definitely beyond that is there anything else beyond that that why is it just a basic instinct or is just is there something deeper about the fear of death and discussing it and talking to people about it well, and I think when we get, you know, our basic instinct and our basic wiring goes throughout, no matter how much of a higher thinking being we've become and, you know, our creativity and our connectivity, our, our love and need for community and all that, it, it could all, you can trace it all back to that basic survival instinct. Yeah. And so it's really uncomfortable to talk about death because you, if you can, you know, m most of us stay in a lot of our basic thinking, unfortunately, yeah. which is <laughs> true. Why, why there's there's uh, yeah. so much conflict and difficulty in the world is because people, not everyone practices higher forms of communication or thinking or um, acting. So I, I think that people automatically have aversion to anything that's uncomfortable. So let, oh, you want to talk about death? You know, sure, now I'm in fear. I don't want to have this conversation. Let's let's go play a video game, <laughs> you know, where we can, die, we can die, but, you know, just but I'll be back. turn it on. Yeah. And, <laughs> right? yeah, I think it's just, uh, you know, um, gosh, there's so many ways I could go right now with different philosophical yes, teachings. <laughs> I'm going to stick with yoga philosophy because I know it's, it's yoga month. Um, one, yoga of, month. one of the basic yoga philosophies talks about the kleshas, which are the ways that, well, to simplify, wrong thinking, think, things that cause our suffering. And one of them is fear of death or clinging to life. Uh, and that's a basic yoga philosophy from thousands of years ago. There's five places, but I'm not going to go into yoga philosophy education in this podcast. But <laughs> just just to say that that fear of death is an illusion that we all live with. It, it's it keeps us from seeing and living life completely, fully open with an open heart and an open mind. Fear of death is a contraction. And according to the kleshas of yoga philosophy, it is an illusion. There's also kleshas in Buddhism. And again, I'm, but just in case someone's listening and you're like, wait, that's not, the kleshas are multicultural. Um, but fear of death is actually considered wrong thinking. Mm. And it can only cause suffering. Isn't interesting. that interesting? That is very interesting. Let's flip this around. I got into a really interesting conversation about the opposite, which is the hope for immortality through science. Mm. Will humans, would humans actually benefit from this version of longevity? Or is dying actually important for people? 
You know how this goes. This is going to be. <laughs> I know. Love that question. And I'm going to answer it. Uh, basically, I think that in order to answer that question, you have to have a belief system. Mm. And your belief system is it science-based and that's it? Is it just what can be proven with a double-blind, you know, study? Or do you have faith in a higher power? Do you have a belief in the afterlife? Uh, all of those things have to come into it. And these beliefs for me were never really solid and I'm still open and learning and I plan to be forever. Um, but until Glenn died, I did not really study or think a lot about the afterlife. I had had some what I call spiritual experiences with things be that you that I'm interacting with that are beyond the five senses. And I have had that my whole life. Some people would say that I'm an intuitive or clairvoyant or whatever. Um, I see dead people. No, just kidding. Right. But um, <laughs> I, uh, um, so these, I struggled so much with all of this after Glenn died that I really, you know, I talked to media, mediums. Mm -hmm. And I, I read books about near-death experiences and afterlife reincarnation. You know, there, there are studies of thousands of children who come back saying, oh, I was so-and-so and I died in the 1920s and now I'm back. And um, just to try to figure out what, what resonates with me. And so that's what I did. And I think if you're going to believe in immortality, uh, or or strive for immortality, you're talking about just in this physical body lasting a long, long time. Uh, I think until we can figure out a way to keep the physical body feeling like we did in our 20s, you know, <laughs> that probably I'd leave immortality to, you know, to the next generation until they figure that out. But I, I do believe there's a natural process of birth and death. I also believe that our soul is immortal. And I believe, and I think I have said this on your podcast before, that we are at, we are in earth school, that each life we live, and I do believe in multiple lives, uh, we come back, we're born again, we forget all of our previous lives, because we're here for a reason. We're here for a lesson. And all of the people in our lives are bringing us a lesson. They might be bringing, you know, chocolate and love and other great things, but yeah. that each person we interact with allows us a learning opportunity and a growth opportunity. And if we were immortal, I'm just not sure we, you know, I think it's like going to sleep at night or like the trees losing their leaves in the fall. I think we need to go and then come back. I, I think it's, it's, we're part of nature. Yes. And death is natural. So I don't know. I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm good with, with the cycle, with life cycles. And I don't think we need immortality. But like I said, if you could, if you could have me just be myself now and the body I had when I was 20 and I felt good physically all the time, <laughs> then I think about it. That was a very honest answer. I, I was like, because there was so much depth to that answer. And then there was the aesthetic kind of more like, <laughs> oh, you know, this is a little bit of a shallow answer and I'm going to own it. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I, right. I think a lot of people would have the very, if you're honest, you probably feel like that. 
Yeah, I mean, as you age, you know, and I know you're not in your 20s anymore either. I mean, I remember when my body felt its best. Uh, and, you know, I'm in my mid-50s now. Which is, by the way, mind-blowing. Because I want to encourage everybody, you haven't seen Michelle on my podcast before. I think it's like the first time you really see her. You're going to be blown away. This is not a person stereotypically who is in their mid-50s looking. You, you look ageless to me. I mean, you look amazing. You really do. Thank Seriously. You, you got to tell people when they're doing good stuff, man. <laughs> I, I appreciate it very much. It's partly living well and mm -hmm. partly I won the genetic lottery. I mean, yeah. my mom died from leukemia, but she, when she was in her sixties, she looked 15, 20 years younger than she was. My dad is 88 and still playing tennis and riding his bike to aqua aerobics. And I yeah. mean, it, if you met him, you would think he couldn't be in his eighties. Yeah. You know, he looks better than most people in their seventies. Incredible. So part of it's just luck. I just happened to luck into the, the family of, you know, youthful genes. Yeah. Well, you do a lot of very positive things, you know, in your life. Yeah, I mean, I eat clean, I do yoga, I meditate, I get outside in nature and, and walk and hike. And I mean, yeah, I, I definitely try to take as good care as I can of this vessel. But uh, some of it's just luck too. But yeah, I, I, I work. I work yeah, hard I mean, on, you put in the work. Healthy. We're going to celebrate that. We put in the work. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, I, I'm 44. And I remember when I was like in my 20s, and I saw people who were 55. I'm honestly, they didn't look like you. Actually, a lot of people didn't look like that. And I see more people that look like you than I've ever seen before in my life for that. There, besides the genetics and stuff, there's something else happening as well. That's a whole other yeah, thing. I think, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, I think there's awareness and there's awareness. opportunity to, to eat. You know, you have to be care really careful of what you eat, but there's the knowledge out there yes. of this is, this is not going to help you feel good into old age if you eat this way yeah you know? most definitely the immortality talk was interesting i was talking to uh, a lady who was a startup of a uh, basically a healthcare company estelle gerard she was on the podcast great conversation we talked a lot about immortality and then we were offline the other day talking about it and i said i don't think it's a good idea honestly the longevity discussions i'm just not sure i'm like i mean there are people who struggle to exist in this length of life and that's actually a lot of people i'm not sure they would be more productive with more time you know humans are procrastination machines man it's like <laughs> you think somebody's living 500 years they're going to accomplish all this stuff a few people will a few people will a lot of people it may be just total drudgery and actually i i told her i said i think actually there would be a lot more suicide with immortality like people would be like i'm done like this I'm not getting anything done. I wasn't doing that when it was 80 years. I'm not going to do it in 160 either. You know, it's like, I think there'd be consequences that we're not thinking. We think that people will be happier if they had in like forever. But death pushes us to do things usually. Like, you I mean, everybody knows it's over at some point. And a lot of times that's the underlying current that pushes you to move forward in things, even though you don't talk about it. I think, but if you take that away, you may be like, well, I'll get to that next century. You know, <laughs> you just feel like, 
Right, it would be, be 300 like procrastination. Years. Yeah, <laughs> procrastination on steroids. I've right? got nothing right. but time. I'll get to that. Maybe I'll get married in 400 years <laughs> when I'm ready for it. <laughs> that's that's an interesting point of view, and my I think that um, I would. I'm sure there would be a lot of people that were just like, I'm going to binge watch every show that's ever been made, you know, and they wouldn't. They wouldn't write. They wouldn't teach. It, hopefully, they would read every book that's ever been written. I would like to do that because that's something I run out of time for reading. Um, but if you know, I would hope that if somebody had unlimited time, they would learn their place as far as the purpose of their embodiment at this time. Why is their soul here in a body at this time, or? for all this time. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we haven't had immortality before, so it would be a new thing. Um, what can I do to improve the planet? What can yeah. I do to improve other people's lives? I, I would hope that you that everyone that had the opportunity for immortality would come to that realization that they're here for a purpose and that that purpose is to improve the world somehow. Yeah. I'd like to believe that would be the case. It'd be a pretty, it'd be a crazy crash course, man. <laughs> it would just be like be pretty messy, I think, and it'd be beautiful yeah. at the same time. But I think going back to death, I think listen, we're not having immortality. We're having this finite existence, and death has to be a discussion. I think one of the best things I ever did in college, I took a death and dying class, mm. and I regularly was around people who were at the end of their life. We were we were it was mandatory to go to nursing homes and different places like to see end of life and experience that and i was like that's gonna be me one day like mm -hmm. i think being young and experiencing that is like should be totally mandatory because when you're like 20 you literally don't care it? about you when you're 20 you think that's not gonna happen to me i will not yeah. be dead like you or now you might think they'll figure yeah. it out somebody will figure it out like no it's not yeah. gonna happen <laughs> like yeah, I actually remember I had a big aha moment the first time I saw someone die. Uh, it was traumatic. I watched, it was a fatal car crash that I was mm. a witness to. And it was such a bad car crash that mm. I, I knew the moment I witnessed it that the person in the car was not alive because there would have been no surviving it. Um, it was a really bad car crash. And uh, it turns out it was, I didn't know at the time that I w witnessed the crash, but it was someone who was um, in my brother's high school graduation class. So it was somebody close to my age and I watched them die. I mean, I physically watched their body, you know, be destroyed by this car accident. And it, that was my first sort of like, whoa, somebody my age, because, you know, when my grandmother died, she was old, you know, and. I, you don't take it personally is my point yeah. um at that time when my grandmother died i was sick so i didn't still didn't bring death home didn't bring death to me but watching that car crash i definitely was like it was eye-opening and i i started thinking about death a lot and the ironically when I saw that car crash. We were on our way downtown to the lawyer's office to listen to the reading of my grandfather's will. Wow. He had just died. So yeah, it was, it was just a, but it did, it got me started, you know, starting to think people my age can die.
Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time, actually. I mean, like you're in your own Well, and that was before school shootings and everything. I mean, now it's like in the news every day, there's young people dying from violent crime. That never used to be in the news. Right. You know what's crazy is that right now we're talking, someone's dying right now. Like all the time across the planet, every second, every hour. Think about this. Like, but we try to create this this cover over our head and be like, not going to be me. You know, it's like, but it's happening. Right. It's the reality of living and dying is literally part of our existence constantly. So I know this is like a really heightened, like if, if for your listeners who are listening right now, they're, they're going to be, oh, I'm going to die. So I want to invite a deep breath. First of all, we're all safe right now. And what can you do, right? That's the next thing. When you get activated, you know, upset, you're like, what do I do? What do I do? Well, don't turn off the podcast. Right. Don't go, this is getting crazy. (laughs) Right. What, What you can do is take this information that you're being given and act on it in that you're making a plan. We all put off writing our wills. We all put off talking about you know, when I die, I would like this to happen to my remains. You know, um, I would like you to keep talking to me because I'm going to be around you in spirit or whatever you believe. But it's not a scary, bad thing, death. I mean, sure, it's sad, especially when it's young and um, unexpected. But if you plan for your death and you are able to realize it's going to happen and accept that, then not only will you have an easier time with your transition, but the people you leave behind will as well. So there is something you can do other than panic and go get drunk or binge watch something. (laughs) Right. Exactly. These are always the best because they're just so deep. They're just so honest. And I hope that, you know, that there's, I always feel like I have an urgency in me. I'm like, Maybe that's crazy, but it's like, I think people ask me like, you do all these podcasts. I'm like, I don't know. I just can't get enough of that. I can't get enough of learning about life because I know. Well, your curiosity, you know, I'm not going to be here one day. Someone's going to be watching me on a podcast and a video and I will not exist physically anymore on this planet. I actually think about that. (laughs) I'm like, this is my love letter to, to the earth is this podcast. I'm like, even when I'm gone, I will exist. And my guests will exist hundreds of years from now. Somebody's going to watch this conversation. It will exist. Like, yeah, we got to make it yeah. count. You know, I love that. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But you're right. And in your, you know, you're almost 500 podcasts now. Yeah. What yeah. number are we on? It's, well, I think I'd, I'd label them like the numbers, but then there's the other ones when I do series and stuff. So total, it's like 548 or something like that. It's, wow. Like, it's a lot. Wow. So I wonder if you go back out of those 548, has anyone died? Have any of your guests died yet? Not that I know of, but it's, but it's, it's, a, it's a statistical probability and, and, mm-hmm. sh- and it's going to happen. Like it's going mm-hmm. to happen. Yeah. Just, just the, it's what's going to happen. You know, nothing's happened that I know of, but that's also when I, I reach out to every single person as much as possible. And it's a lot of people, 
And sometimes people get back to you and you're like, everything's amazing. And sometimes when people return that message, everything's horrible. And, that's, and, and then the next time, everything's good or I'm okay. I had a guy today, he's like, I'm just doing okay. I, that's it. Like, you know, maybe six months from now when I talk to him, it'll be, um, it'll be incredible. But that's the journey mm -hmm. of life. And much like you with when it was so raw talking about Glenn five years ago, and now there's, there's a different, you have a different way about you than yeah. this. And it's very, it's beautiful to see. Thank you. Yeah, I've, uh, I've worked hard to figure out how to suffer less. And when I do suffer, accept it instead of yeah. fighting against it. And I, I still suffer, but it's definitely um, less than I used to. You talked about the lesson, like you feel like we're meant to learn these lessons in our lives. What's been the, what's been the overarching lesson for you that you've experienced in these 55 years of life so far? Uh, I said mid fifties, but it might be a little more than 55. Um, no, it's okay. We don't, nobody needs to know that. That's why you tell me. Hey, later. I, I'm very honest. <laughs> I, I think I'm 56, actually, but anyway, uh, 200 years from now, when someone's listening to this podcast, it won't matter. Yeah. Uh, my overarching I think, oh, it's so hard to just pick one. I'm going to say we are too hard on ourselves. That's what I'm going to say. Self-love and self-acceptance is so far down the list. And we start out uh, perfect. And then we have parents and teachers and siblings who tell us we're not perfect. And we start to believe that. And our self-esteem uh, stumbles. And then by teenage years, or maybe even earlier, we're really hard on ourselves. And instead of our biggest fan, we become our worst critic. And sometimes having a little bit of, of that can motivate us to be better, but most of the time it's just suffering. We're just mean to ourselves. And, you know, if you see something like, oh, I really want to lose these five pounds, well, don't be hard on yourself about it. Like, I'm not going to do it right now because right now I'm really into potato chips and been watching, <laughs> you know, and Netflixing, Netflix and chilling. <laughs> But at some point, I want to make this change. And you as a coach and me as a coach, we know that when we're working with our clients, they have to be ready for change. If you're not ready for change, love yourself anyway. I love my five pounds. I love myself because I am the beautiful expression of this physical being that came into manifestation for something. Was it to harsh on yourself for those five pounds? Absolutely not. Please stop. So that's, I think, the overarching thing is just be kinder to yourself. Treat yourself like you would treat your best friend. Would you look at your best friend and go, oh, heck yeah, girl, you got to lose those five pounds. No. <laughs> no. No. You'd say, how do, how do we be happy right now? And think about maybe a long-term plan for the five pounds or 20 or 50 or whatever it is. Or, you know, yeah. people are so hard on themselves. So that that would be my my overarching thing is to just be kind, be open-hearted, be good to yourself. And then you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah. 
That's true. Like, well, if someone was, you have a title for your, your books, obviously. Yes. Would, would this be the same? What would be the title of your life? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> the title for my life. Well, I'm going to take the easy route and just uh, say the title of my business, which is Inhabit Joy. Hmm. And I developed that after um, talking to some uh, people who are outside of, you know, who talk to spirits and, and things that are beyond our five senses and have um, Akashic records. And I had a human design um, session that lasted three hours. It's kind of like astrology, but it's so much like, so much more. I even talk about it in one of my books. I think it's the You Can't Make This Story Up, where it, it looked like um, uh, someone had taken a box of spaghetti noodles and thrown them on the floor, and, and that, but they could read that. And I was looking at just this mess. And basically, what they told me was, and this is what I took to heart, that I am here on this planet to inhabit and demonstrate joy. So to let people know by how I live my life and by my teachings that joy is our birthright, that, that we are here to experience the beauty of life, the beauty of the world, the beauty of love, and the beauty of death, the beauty of the falling leaves, the beauty of the destruction, the, the beauty in all of it, and find joy anyway. I love oh, it. That's it's beautiful. That's You're like, the title I'm going to do the easy life. part here. I'm going to take the easy part. <laughs> because my business is already called Inhabit Joy. So. <laughs> I mean, it's a good question for anyone. I think it's like, yeah. what's the title of your life? Like, what is, what has been your journey? You know, I mean. I okay. love that. I am so going to use that in workshops and going forward with clients. I love it. That's a great question. <laughs> I think anything we're like, you know, as you know, I mean, I don't plan any of this stuff. I literally just listen and then comes to me. But there's nothing better than when you ask somebody something and they look away and then they pause. And that's when you know I haven't, they haven't thought about this. Like these new thoughts that start percolating your brain, you're like, wait a minute, this is, doesn't compute. I, <laughs> I what? Like, like Okay, I right. got to think about this. Be, thinking should be amazing. <laughs> like about right, things that are right. not coming in your mind regularly that stop people. Right, it's not practiced. It's not rehearsed. It's, it's not a pre-thought. Yes. I think that what you're getting to there is the actual creative process. Yes. The, and for me, it's the deep breath and just the open. I open to what's next. I don't take credit for anything I've written. I don't take credit for what I'm saying. I, I give credit to my higher self or God or the universe or spirit, um, soul, whatever you want to call it. But I just feel like I'm a conduit for the message that is trying to get into the physical world from the non-physical world. I feel like we all are not like I'm some special conduit. Uh, and that's our purpose. That's our, that's our life, our, our, the meaning of our embodying, our, our manifesting into these bodies right now. Yeah. And so 
that's in my opinion that's the pause that's the look that's the okay what's going to come through yes yeah and that's that's like a special moment to me because i know at that point i'm getting the i'm getting something very different from this person that maybe they they haven't given to anyone else mm -hmm. there's something amazing about that you're like, genius at that you are so <laughs> good you. at that that's uh yeah i love that about your work thank you so much i think the title of my life would be the enlightened degenerate <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love to party that. and have a good time and whip it up but i also like want to be like i strive to have incredible enlightened and be like very understanding and creative and stuff but there's there's this other primal side of me that just loves a party and hang out and stuff it's like yeah you know take some shots hang out you know it's just like do some stuff but there's like this with the, but mostly i want to be more enlightened so it's like this this weird dichotomy that i just completely own man i'm totally into it <laughs> like, <laughs> that's perfect you know i actually um before the glenn period in my life uh, i had a series of books that i was writing um which I may may go back to at some point, yeah. but uh, it was um, one of the titles was I walked, wait, I walked the path to enlightenment in designer heels. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's a good title. I like that. That's really good. That's just great. That's how I, you're just great. I mean, you're just great. You know, one of the things I, I really strive to do at this point in my life that I'm just, I feel like I'm just adding on more armor to my, hopefully more enlightenment is just like to give people praise and to tell them how good they are. You are good, Michelle. You are an incredible person. You're a wonderful human. You are inhabiting joy. You're giving joy to a lot of people and you're teaching people how to deal with something that's incredibly difficult. You are, you're, you are joy. Thank you for who you are. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I'll just take that in. I appreciate it. It's another thing that I've really worked hard to do, and I wish everyone else would too, and that is just take a compliment. A compliment is a gift that someone is giving you, and your inner critic does not have to be involved in <laughs> receiving compliments. Just tell your inner critic to talk to the hand, you know? <laughs> right. Because at this moment, someone is praising something about you that is bringing them joy or happiness or love or whatever. And don't belittle that. Don't, don't belittle you know, accepting praise is just the same as allowing someone to give you a gift. You're not going to refuse a gift unless you're kind of a butthead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's. That's amazing. I just, man, I'm so happy we know each other. And uh, again, this is a pretty rare occurrence in my podcast to have someone from the beginning of this journey I've taken to be back. And Michelle, you know, you're welcome back anytime. anytime. Yes, thank you. I, I love witnessing both of our growth over uh, the last five years. It's, it's really beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Please tell everyone about uh, your two books when it's going to be out how people can uh, get those things, connect with you. Okay, sure, thank you. Um, 
So the two books are specifically designed for people who have lost a spouse or partner to suicide. The book one is Surviving Spouse or Partner Suicide Loss, A Mindful Guide for Your Journey, journey Through Grief. And uh, it is for people like me who have lost a partner to suicide. And it, it uses mindfulness and teaching mindfulness and self-love and a lot of things I talked about today to help you suffer less while you go through this very difficult journey. And then the second book I wrote to accompany the first book, but they're there for separate people. The second book is Supporting a Survivor of Spouse or Partner Suicide Loss, A Mindful Guide for Co-Journeying Through Grief. So this is to help people because like, like we talked about today, it's you don't know what to do. When, when your best friend's partner died by suicide, you have no idea. And so much of the suffering I went through after I lost Glenn was not just grieving him and the horror and trauma of the loss, but it was all the things people were saying that were just awful. And they're trying, you know, I believe they're good hearted and trying their best, but everyone's suffering and nobody knows what to do. So the second book is, the goal is to educate, how do we sit with someone in this type of trauma, grief, and loss? Incredible. I assume people can get it Amazon, different places. Yes, like the, they, they both release on January 26, uh, 2023. So they might already be out. I don't know when mm -hmm. the podcast is airing. Um, and yeah, Amazon, uh, my publisher uh, is, Saved by Story, which I love that. Saved love by Story dot house. And I'm sure in the show notes, all the links will be oh, in yeah. there. Yeah. Go to my Amazon author page and all of my books are there. And that way you can find all of them at once instead of, you know, trying to, especially when it's newly released. Sometimes it's pretty hard to find a book on there. Yeah. If you're not Prince Harry or something. <laughs> For sure. Well, th this is going to be awesome. This is, uh, well, it's coming out tomorrow, this episode. Fast track oh, this okay. thing. Hard. Wow. But the oh. other beautiful thing is Michelle is part of a new batch of people who are on who are going to be my episodes are going to be now on the Fathom app. Highly recommend it. It's the future of listening to podcasts who creates chapters for all of your episodes. So maybe you don't want to hear this huge talk about dying in one part of it. It basically you can skip to any part of our conversation you want just by clicking on it and to hear whatever you like to hear about our conversations or any of the conversations I have with people. But what's most important is that um, we got to spend the time together. And, uh, you know, we infused some, I think, really important conversations um, that need to be talked about. So, Michelle, until the next time. Thank you so much, Darian. It's always great to spend time with you. Thank you.